0: So, I'm so f***ed up, I I don't know when this is going to end. I have another 40 miles to ride. Like, I'm f***ed, what the f***? This is the Bike Pack Racing Podcast with Ezra Ward-Packard and Andrew Anorma. Welcome back to the Bike Pack Racing Podcast. I am your host, Ezra Ward-Packard. This is episode four. Andrew will not be joining us today. He is currently on a recon mission of sorts for the Arkansas High Country Race. But I am joined by David Greif. I did a little stalking on David last night. He has been racing on the road and in cyclocross since 2012. It looks like he got his start a little bit before he went to the University of Arizona and had a pretty long collegiate career. After that, he moved into the elite US cycling ranks, where he raced for Rio Grande Racing in 2018 before moving to Project Echelon. And he's been with them since 2019. RoadResults.com says David has won 10 bike races in his career and finished some of the hardest bike races in the United States. Pro Nationals criterium. Torre Gila redlands a top 10 finish at collegiate nationals criterium what else we got here he has a mechanical engineering degree so not only is he fast on a bike but he's also pretty smart and also he everested so david how's it going today
1: wow all right you did your your snooping yeah um it's going great i'm actually uh here at uh, sea otter classic um for for some more uh racing. I'm doing the road racing gravel. And uh yeah, it seems like you kinda hit the nail on the head with like that um you know kind of like how I have gotten into uh where I am from from college and that's kind of where I picked it up and picked up racing. So yeah.
0: Yeah, so let's just jump right into it. What was Like, how did you get into cycling, right? How did you get into racing? I feel like so many people Uh just have different stories of their kind of entry point. Was this something that your entire family did? Was it random? How did you get involved?
1: Yeah, uh, a bit random. Um, Definitely not, um, like, a little unorthodox in the sense that, like, my family doesn't really bike. Um, And it kind of started, I want to say, with just riding my bike to school. Uh, My mom was a single parent and she didn't have time to drop us off at school and so my sister and i would just ride our bikes starting in like second grade and um it just gave me a lot of freedom and i you know just just kind of found that as a helpful tool i was doing cross country and swim in high school and you know at some point in high school i just decided that i should try a triathlon because that's what you do when you can do all three sports i guess and um
0: be mediocre at all three of them
1: yeah exactly <laughs> yeah right that's a joke of it um and for sure why i didn't pursue triathlon yeah so i i did a triathlon um my first one was in camp pendleton and um in, in southern california and i got out of the water first and then got on the bike and got passed by like 10 people. And I just couldn't understand what I was doing wrong. And then, you know, after that triathlon, uh, figured I should join a cycling team. You know, I had done cross country. I did running and I did swim. So maybe I should join a cycling team. And, uh, my sister was a few years ahead of me and she was actually just joining as well, um, a cycling team at the college that she was going to, uh, university of Nevada, Reno. And she did, she started getting into collegiate cycling and I saw how cool that was, especially cause before that she was just in the 60 scene. And
0: okay.
1: I always looked up to her and she was just doing alley cats that night and petty cab messing around and i just thought it was really cool that she could go from that scene into a racing scene because usually and if you're in that in the fixie world you're kind of looking down on people who race and wear lycra but yeah so we started training together and then uh, i graduated from high school and went to the university of arizona and first day decided to join the cycling team there and it was actually pretty well known that was maybe one of my influences for going to that school and yeah uh i remember going to one of the first meetings and it's in the fall and road season is not in the fall that's in the spring and cyclocross is what was is, kind of like going on and i just remember them explaining cyclocross to me and i didn't really understand it but it sounded really cool because it was like an obstacle course or something i didn't know but i knew that all i had was a road bike and that wasn't going to work and i needed to get a different bike and our first race that that the team was hosting was that weekend and so i went to the local community bike shop and and just pieced together like a frankenstein bike with down tube shifters and candy brakes, And I didn't really know at all how to ride a bike or, or not ride a bike um, to build a bike. And so I kind of just did this the day before this cyclocross race and I showed up and I didn't have clip-ins and I had like straps, but I forgot the actual strap to the, yep. the cage. And so we just duct taped my feet to the pedals at the start of this collegiate race. and a oh, um, little 500 style, a little yeah. 500
0: style, so breaking was, away move right there.
1: <laughs> it was, yeah, no, it was a total mess because my, my seat collar stripped after, like, the first, I don't know, they, like, built a jump on the course. And, uh, and my, my saddle popped off, and so I just rode the rest of this race. Like, it was, it was totally just a joke, but it was super fun. You know, as all good collegiate races should have, they had a keg there, and uh, so afterwards, you know, I'm 18. There's free beer. I'm hooked. Like the the whole atmosphere was fun, and yeah, I kind of just fell in love with the sport and cycling in general, and never went back to triathlons ever since.
0: <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you like, honestly, you just touched on my first three questions there because I really was curious about like what your collegiate cycling career was kind of like, because when I went to college, it was kind of after like racing on the road full time for three years. So for me, I was like burnt out and I've just like, I never really got into it. Right. I went to like a few collegiate races and I went to a small liberal arts college. And so there wasn't really like a good community there. It was me just kind of like driving to races by myself and knowing no one. And I was like, this isn't really what I'm looking for so I went and played ultimate frisbee instead because it was more of that culture any other stories from collegiate like I feel like you got into it because it was fun but also there was like this competitiveness and like just looking at your results you were racing a solid solid collegiate schedule you know like I look at other collegiate racers and if they go to three four weekends a year that's a pretty good year but you were kind of getting after it there especially your junior and senior year it looked like yeah
1: you're 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 right um yeah i i guess first my first freshman year i just kind of i was hyper competitive but when you're a cap five you're you know just trying to kind of get through the ranks a bit and so i i was able to do really well the collegiate scene especially in the southwestern conference you can Pair up your. They'll either like let you race, you know, twice in a day because they've got the collegiate race and the, your category race, um, or they'll combine you and then just separate scores after. And yeah, you're right. We were. I was racing, you know, every other weekend for the most part, um, especially road season. And I so really, I just raced in cyclocross. You know, maybe I do two mountain bike races a year to help the team with winning points or whatever it took. And then I'd commit to the road season. And, uh, yeah, I think I was pretty fortunate to not get into it as like a junior, uh, because I didn't have any of those weird influences from my dad telling me that I should ride 19 millimeter tires or 140 PSI or, or just silly stuff. And I got to just, just really like be involved with the community that, that and the team like the team was huge at u of a i mean my freshman year i think there were 60 plus people on it
0: oh damn okay
1: i mean we had the best house parties i don't know how to say like it was just it was so much fun i wasn't into the greek life at u of a which is uh, a big thing there and so having this immediate group and this big group of friends that i could go ride and train with and um, obviously there were goals that I could work towards as far as like moving up in the categories. So I went from a five to a three and then from my, my freshman year and, um, and then F3 to a two and two to a one the following two years. And that was great because then I, I got to really like go, I got to go to collegiate nationals actually my very first year as a freshman and that was really cool because i was at the richmond um course which was uh, collegiate the collegiate race that year was a teaser to richmond world the next okay. year yep so it was really cool just to be so new to this world but um very like fortunate to get a taste of of racing on you know the best of the best and and things like that and so i just yeah i really took to it and yeah i guess after or once college was kind of getting to an, a close, I had done some big stage races like Tour of the Gila, Tucson Bicycle Classic, and and also got kind of to be noticed. I uh, was the collegiate um, road conference champion for three years and also cyclocross champion for three years and got to go to cyclocross and that. So I think I got my name out there enough that, yeah, I elite teams were kind of interested and so i when i graduated you know it it made sense to take this opportunity to to pursue cycling so and so
0: moving into that Mm
1: -hmm.
0: like elite scene did you have aspirations to become like full-on professional go to europe do that whole jam or were you taking it more for it is like i really enjoy this because Mm i yeah because i'm not I feel like when you start as a junior there's almost like like you're trying to become pro right like that's right. the only thing that matters and i feel like sometimes if you start the sport a little bit later you're a little bit less concerned about constantly moving up the ranks like obviously you're competitive if you're racing bikes but it le- it's less of like an end-all be-all like if i'm not you know on the us national u23 team then my life is over like that sort of mentality. right so like heading out of college Like, what were you looking for in racing in that, like, U.S. elite scene?
1: Yeah. I mean, to be fair, uh, maybe I was a little naive in the sense that uh, I was moving up pretty quickly um, when when I started racing. And I didn't know what my limit was. And so, for sure, after college, I was hoping to do really well on Rio Grande, have some more kind of breakout performances, and see where that takes me. And, and I didn't really know like what my cap was. And, uh, I I actually raced really well, um, for the first part of Rio Grande and I just didn't yet like put it all together. And I think that's something that it, it either happens in training or, you know, maybe you're just never capable of putting together you know six perfect months of racing like you know and don't have to tell me don't have to tell me (laughs) you look at my results and it's like wow this guy's
0: barely hanging on and it was kind of true i was like barely hanging on for three years there so
1: right well i mean that's just i mean it, it and it's also hard to like recognize like what is i don't know like maybe maybe i should never be striving for like that extra five percent i might or might not get like at a race like uh anyways that just it took me a couple years maybe to figure out that like world tour wasn't on the list of like capable and like if i was going to be world tour i already would have been world tour i mean or like you know locals to arizona at the time were brandon mcnulty who 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 was just getting onto the world tour level when I was in college and you know like yes he already had over six watts a kilo for his threshold and who knows if that was his peak right like he's better now than he was before and so I think yeah like I would have had to you know been in college and just naturally had six watts a kilo and and then we could have worked from there but I'm still really happy with w- where my power and um, where my fitness is at right now, especially because since 2020 I got a full-time job. So okay, yep, uh, which was and actually you're using cool.
0: that mechanical engineering degree.
1: Uh, yeah, kind of. Um, uh, I work okay. for the state uh, in the Department of Transportation as an engineer, but it's mostly data analytics and. Yeah, to be honest, I think I'm pretty much only there because it's, it's not a very difficult job, and it allows me to leave my work at home, only do 40 hours a week, and, and train my butt off still, so, yeah.
0: Nice. So do you want to talk about what your current race situation is right now? You are on project Echelon, which is honestly one of the best elite teams in the country right now. Also a team with kind of a fantastic mission. Do you just want to touch on that real quick?
1: Yeah. Um, I've been with project Echelon going on my third year now. Um, they're an incredible, uh, team and a nonprofit. Uh, I met these guys, uh, when I was in Tucson, they would, teams and uh, elite teams would come down to Tucson during the winter to train and I gotta say if you, any of the listeners are thinking of where to go during the winter to get the best training, I just can't preface enough that you need to go to Tucson, you need to do the shootout, you need to do the Tuesday morning ride, I mean nothing will like open your eyes more to how hard and how good quality of training can be down there and I met these guys and uh, we kind of clicked and I guest rode with them for a couple um, races. And yeah, Project Echelon is actually a nonprofit that works with veterans suffering from anything from PTSD to a- any kind of um, mental setbacks after reintegrating into civilian life um, after serving. and it's a really great, uh, nonprofit that kind of introduces endurance sports and gives them some focus. And, you know, a lot of these individuals kind of need something to, to get their frustration out, to fixate on, to have a community, uh, again. And so that's like how Project Echelon, um, works into that. And, uh, I've, I've been, privilege to work with a number of veterans and kind of see how they've, they've changed and grew through this nonprofit. So on the other side of the nonprofit, they have this elite cycling team that uses its awareness and platform to advocate for it. So yeah, it's it's a, it's a huge group this year. It's the biggest that it's been. We've got 15 guys on the racing squad, which means that we can tackle multiple races. Uh, across the U.S. each weekend. So are
0: you guys both coasts, right? Because I feel like with a lot of U.S. elite teams, it's either you're a West Coast elite team and you're doing everything out West or you're uh-huh. East Coast and you're doing everything out East. And then you might meet a few times a year. So are you guys kind of split across the country? What's the deal with that?
1: Um, we are, in in the way that we function, we're much more like a, a pro-conti team in the sense okay. that yeah. We've got guys all over the U S we meet up for training camp, which we had in, uh, Winston Salem, North Carolina a month ago. And we train there for a, a week or 10 days together. And then everybody kind of splits back up. We do our training because we, we have guys and the team actually started in the Midwest, Okay, but it just grew in its strength. It grew in the sense that we had to pick up riders who are just not in the Midwest if you want to be the best team you have to you know expand and so yeah we just um then we all fly into uh our certain races and and then we fly back out and we also have a team house and there's a number of riders now living together in arizona as well during the winters so yeah we we kind of uh, travel around and meet up at our races and, and yeah
0: awesome so I guess we'll make the hard transition to bike packing. How did bike packing get on your radar? I guess I didn't mention this at the start of the show, but we are talking to David because he participated in the Stagecoach Four Hundred a few weeks back. So, how did this get on your radar, David? Like, seems like you're kind of a pure roadie, right? I haven't heard much about you know da- you dabbling in gravel, and you said you did a few mountain bikes, but the uh-huh. jump to Stagecoach is seems like a big jump.
1: Yeah. I don't know what it is about being labeled as a roadie, but I just always it's like nails on a chalkboard for me. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I embrace that. I'm like,
0: yeah, I'm a roadie. I race down the road. Yeah, I mean, my
1: legs are shaved right now. So, I mean, yeah, there's going to be a lot of listeners who like this guy's a full blown roadie. So, yeah, uh, I would say um... you also did start
0: talking about watts per kilogram earlier, and I like we're getting there in bike packing, but <laughs> there's been a few times where I'm like, "Oh, wait, wait a second! I need to actually explain what that is and how that works to people." So.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, I, I can stand by like steel is real and on my mountain bike and even my cross bike, I have no power meter. And, nice. Okay. And I can say I took my heart rate strap off during Stagecoach after like hour six or hour eight. You know, it's just like not not helpful information yeah, right. at that point yeah so i first dabbled in bike packing my sophomore year in college this was inspired because my sister had done a trip from seattle down the coast all the way to uh, san diego and i didn't know what to do with myself i got back to tucson two weeks early because i thought it would be fun and i could uh, hang out with my cycling team and train. And instead I got there two weeks early and it was 115 degrees outside. Nobody is outside in Tucson during the daytime. And I realized I had to get out of there. So all I had was my road bike. I bought a pannier rack that like attaches that clamps onto the seat post from like performance bikes down the store or down the street. And, um, I yeah I got some bags and I just decided I was gonna go ride up I mean Arizona is beautiful it's got a lot of national parks and I haven't explored much and so I decided I would ride up to to Sedona and through Flagstaff and then I would go to the Grand Canyon and then I wanted to go to Zion and Bryce and come back down. Okay yeah I didn't really know like Sounds nice, but sounds, I'm in Flagstaff sounds-
0: right now, and it's like the actual roads to connect those places. Right. Uh, yeah.
1: We'll see if you're if you're like me and you kind of like are, you know, just assume you can do anything if you set your mind to it or whatever they tell you. To, um, <laughs> I I just said it it will work, and so I I got some reservations in the bottom of the Grand Canyon for camping, because obviously how else are you gonna get from the Grand Canyon to Zion and Bryce? And um, yeah, I, I set off and I rode um, first day up to, I started in Phoenix. Uh, I got a ride to Phoenix because I didn't want to ride to to Phoenix, it was just a flat frontage road. And then uh, I rode up to Sedona for lunch and then camped off the side of the road uh, right before Flagstaff to climb out of the canyon um, yeah. just, just pulled over on a dirt road there and then woke up next day uh, went to the south rim of the Grand Canyon and camped out there and then uh, I don't know I, I guess I didn't realize like nobody ever does this but nobody just takes their bike from the south rim and just walks it to the north rim and i found out why and it's because it's really really flipping hard because the steps i thought i could just wheel it down yep but my bike was pretty heavy because i had a tent i had like i didn't have bike packing gear i had backpacking gear that i just stuffed in some pannier racks and a bunch of bottles and um, a camelback and i realized like the steps down the grand canyon and up the other side are like 18 inches high or they're just they're just too high to be able to yep. wheel your bike down so i had to carry my bike down every step of the grand canyon and that was uh, extremely tough like i had no option like i was doing this thing and that's also where i kind of got into this idea of bikepacking and like yeah i guess you can do anything as long as you're just dumb enough to do it and then hiking up the grand canyon with my bike was like the hardest thing ever like it just destroyed my shoulders not my legs i love this this is like this whole story just makes me
0: so happy because it's it, you know the azt 800 like they go mm. through the grand canyon and that is the part of the race that everyone almost just dreads because it is just so strenuous and you know they have super light mountain bikes with nothing on it and you know custom made like backpack harnesses traps, right yeah all this stuff and it's still like you know following People who've done that before, and it's just absolutely brutal. I can only imagine you with your road bike. Were you in road shoes, or did you like at least put on some SPDs? I the, um,
1: no, there were road shoes, but I had brought some some sandals.
0: Okay, <laughs> we brought some sandals. Nice, yeah, some nice. sandals
1: to like. And this was my first time in the Grand Canyon too. So this was like I didn't know how long the hike was. I mean, I knew on a map it says it's this long, and I'm like, oh, I've done a hikes in the you know that long, yeah. You know, what's how bad can it be and Grand canyon
0: miles are a little bit different when you're going straight up the wall. Yeah,
1: yeah, and the and the north rim too, it's got so much um like mule poop and stuff. It's yep. just like super sandy and not a great trail. Yeah, for totally. sure. Totally. Um but I, I met a guy who was running rim to rim. He said he would leave me a bunch of Snickers and Coca Cola's, like in a bush at the at the top. And so uh, yeah I was just super stoked to get to the other side and ended up going to uh, to Zion the next day. Oh I camped on the edge of the rim that was like nice. incredible and then I, and I rode to Zion and hiked through it and then rode rode to Bryce a couple days later and yeah I just I don't know I was I just had a ton of fun and I, nice. yeah. I had to zero I did z- like zero kind of beta on what is bikepacking like i had zero clue on any of it and just figured i'd just wing it and so that's that was my first dabble in bikepacking but to be to be honest that was like it for a a while i mean i i committed myself to road cycling and cyclocross i mean my idea of a gravel ride i would still do like gravel rides especially because i was living in reno during a lot of it too and there's there's great gravel riding around Truckee and, and the area. But as far as like really bikepacking, I, I haven't gotten to do a lot more up until stagecoach. I mean, that was it. It was like a five-year hiatus, but I always wanted to get back into bikepacking and that taste that I got, it was such an incredible trip with so many highs that I knew that, you know, if, if I had the time for it, if my road, calendar kind of was dying out because I mean maybe some of the listeners don't realize like I was riding like 60 I was racing 60 times a year um in my like peak of my road my road like career and um and there's not a lot of time to be able to say like okay well I'm gonna train for a bike packing race and then I'm gonna train well like also bike packing just takes it out of you, Do you yeah, me to, sure. can you hear that in the background Oh, yeah, we can hear the
0: sirens. It just awesome. adds the ambiance. We're just going to keep on rolling. Keep on rolling. Yeah,
1: okay. I just act like you can't hear it.
0: <laughs> Here, let's just wait a second, and I can just cut it out. Oh, and as I say that, they're gone. Beautiful.
1: All right. Easy. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I, I just didn't get to go back to bikepacking, but I knew that I wanted to, like, the Tour Divide seems like something that I would really want to do at one point in my life i mean i it's a it's a huge thing to train for for a bikepacking race because for example with stagecoach that just happened yeah let's
0: get into it so what was that like leading into stagecoach did you change your training once again i think you were at a training camp like a week or two weeks before like putting in major fast road miles like yeah. What was the training like? Getting ready for Stagecoach. Were you doing overnight rides? Any sleep deprivation? Go into it.
1: Right. Um, well, I'll say uh, I had attempted Stagecoach actually last year um, in an okay. ITT, and it, that was actually my first stab at it. And I think if you're if you're like me and you're hyper competitive, it really helps to be with the Grand apart because it's a different kind of thing when you're out there, you know, like there's personal motivation and then it also helps to have some motivation that like, Oh, there's a rider behind you, you know, stay in front of them. And I did it, did it as an ITT. And it was also kind of in the, in the depth of COVID. And there were a lot of places that I was banking on refueling and re-eating or like, and that weren't open at all yeah. um or that were open they were only serving through the drive-through and if you're a guy on a bike in the middle of the night that doesn't count and so I ended up pulling out halfway through um just because I was off the FKT app for me like I guess that's all that matters I don't know and I just lost all motivation once I was off that by like a I I substantial margin. so this year yeah I I didn't do maybe as much prep as I did the year before because the year before I, yeah, I was riding through the night a couple times and I was, you know, getting the, getting the gut trained as they say, and just kind of going through the motions. And last year I was like pretty dialed on all my equipment this year, same equipment, same bike. I just, changed. what was that bike? It's a pro caliber check pro Cal. And, okay um, so you
0: did go with kind of a straight mountain bike option rather than a gravel hybrid something
1: yeah I think I think for stagecoach just the gnarly sections are, are gnarly enough and the gearing is you, you just kind of need a mountain bike if you're if you're trying to go for it i don't think you really need big tires like I had 2 point2 and yeah uh, this year though I did change up my gearing a little bit or like my gear a little bit in the sense that I had a I wanted to do a frame bag with a okay. hydration bladder, and but not a full frame bag. I would still keep one bottle, and uh, the hydration bladder was like two and a half liters, and so yeah. I was hoping that I wouldn't have to have a camelback. I didn't really know why I don't want a camelback, but, you know. I know any- why, because it's <laughs> an
0: absolute pain in the back to yeah. have a load on your back for
1: well, that's, yeah, that's miles. What I was Like it just sucks. It's of. just not
0: fun. It's like, that's the thing that I'm always going back and forth to. It's like, yeah. Can I get away with like wearing a camelback and only having right. a liter of water in there? That is
1: a kind and of the a other thing, I thing to... that everyone's dealing with. About that is like, it's hard to change layers. Like if you want to put a jacket on or if you start with a jacket and you want to take it off, you know, it's, it's hard to change layers without stopping on your bike to do that. So yeah, I was just trying to get rid of the, the, the the need for a best. and so yeah, the the lead up to Stagecoach this year is probably what was my downfall. Okay. Yeah, I, I went to team camp uh, the week before Stagecoach, okay. and it, it was ten days, and it was a five hundred mile week um, with racing efforts. And as always, when you go to a road oriented team camp it's not hey let's have fun hang out go for some easy rides it's we're doing race efforts we're peaking we are going to be you know doing lead out practice yeah i and that's how i had to train and you have to and you have to train for team camp you know you can't just show up there so so i would say i was doing totally different rides i was doing like a ride a week leading up to team camp where I'm on my mountain bike and I'm going really long and testing out all my gear and I've got bags on it. And then, you know, the next day I'm out on my road bike and I'm doing race efforts and threshold intervals and vo 2 max, which is like totally not needed for bike packing. But I was, you know, whatever I, as always, I just bite off more than I can chew and won't just run with it. So, um, team Cam went great. Uh, I had a lot of fun. My power was awesome. Some of the best that I've had. And yeah, then I, I took four days off, rode my mountain bike once and then drove to stagecoach.
0: A so, great taper, a great taper. Yeah.
1: I mean, what <laughs> a else 30 hour
0: week, take three days off and then just go hit it. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can't, kind of, I guess I thought so. Um, yeah. So a little bit of shock to my body during stagecoach, uh, which is something that maybe I was arrogant about. Uh, but yeah, I, I haven't felt cramps. Like, I mean, I haven't gotten cramps in two years of, of racing and training. And so, because in, in my opinion, if you're getting cramps, you're doing something wrong, your hydration's off, your eating's off, you know, like you did something wrong. And, and clearly I must have, because I just got, the worst cramps that I've had like nine hours, hours
0: brutally hot. And you also just kind of took off flying. Like if you go back on track leaders, like your dot, like right from the gun, you go to the front. Like there was really no kind of, it looked like there was no like waiting around. It was okay. We're sending this and you know, in your bikepacking.com rig article, Mm -hmm. like the first sentence was, I'm going for the fastest known time. I'm going for sub 39 hours. So, like mindset-wise, you came into the race very much we're going for this, correct?
1: Yes. Um yeah. I will say uh for the first hour or so, I tried to like keep keep a little okay. front group together, yep. you know, there was uh m- me, Matt, um Javier and Abdullah. Like we were like I was just trying to like not push the pace necessarily for the first hour but um but then be
0: diplomatic about it be a good representative of road before you
1: before drop i like... the
0: hammer and start like i was i looked yeah. at your strava file and you were like getting koms and i was like what's going on here like you're getting koms at the start of a 400 mile bikepacking race i love this just <laughs>
1: send it send um, it um yeah i i really try to contain myself but um I, yeah maybe not enough um <laughs> yeah which is actually probably it like i just i, I was going out um probably a little, too a little bit hard. too hard yeah, yeah yeah just naturally but uh yeah I, I definitely went into it with with the idea i mean i had a, a time split i had taken all of the like kurt kurt ref like 42 hour attempt and then i had like putting that put that on an excel sheet with all of like where where i needed to be at what time but then i adjusted it to to beat the 39 hour record so I, cause the 39 hour record went clockwise. Okay. So yeah, I had like done all these things and I had all these checkpoints and, you know, I knew, I knew where I was going to hydrate and I knew like at what time on the other side of the course I would be passing X place and, you know. If so you were very,
0: very place. prepared in your preparation. It was, yeah.
1: Yeah. That
0: I- rather than the alternative, which is, oh, I'm going to go do this race and, I don't know what time I'm going to get to this gas station or if it's going to be open. So very analytical approach, which honestly, like having known you for the last 30 minutes, like that, that makes sense. Like you do data analytics in your, your day life. It makes sense. Yeah.
1: I'm a numbers guy. And so I would say mentally, I was very prepared for Stagecoach, And I think that is a huge aspect of, of any sort of hard, long effort. Um, I mean, if you're everesting or bikepacking or, you know, you're just, being diligent about your training, you know, you need to have, uh, like, kind of this very tough mental aspect of, like, I'm finishing this thing, no matter what, whether or not that actually comes to fruition, you know, that's, that's another story. But, um, yeah, so maybe I was lacking a little bit on the, on the actual physical prep. Yeah, doing training camp uh, a week before is not the best idea. But, um, other than that, yeah, like I was just going for it and, um, I was feeling really good for the first six hours and then yeah, like I was just getting some crazy leg twinges and this is actually uh, huge that I kind of realized and that I won't go back to again is that hydration bladder in the frame bag. It's, it's, it's not a great way of visualizing how much you're constantly drinking you know, it, it's yeah. in a, it's in a black bag, you know, that two and a half liters should last you three to three and a half hours. I'm, I'm pretty, like, I need a bottle an hour. Um, I okay. go through a lot of sweat. I've done heat adaptation, like at training camp, we were in the sauna right after our long rides too. So, um, but the, the more you adapt to heat adaptation, the also your, the quicker your body and more efficient, it gets at responding to that. So then I'm, yep. I'm sweating, I'm doing well, but I'm sweating more, so I need to drink more, and then, yeah, when it's in a hydration bladder, I just, I would get to the Warner Springs, and, you know, like, I should be done with all my water, and I open up my bag, and I see that uh, I got, like, a bottle's worth left of water in it, and so maybe I should have been drinking more, and, you know, so, yeah, I think that's something that I actually realized I really need, kind of, like, calculable bottles, so I can, I know how much I'm drinking and staying on top of it
0: so yeah that's an interesting point because also like if you wear that camelback it's on your back and it's like you don't have that visual representation but you just feel it getting lighter and Mm -hmm. lighter and lighter and honestly like for some of the efforts i've done that's almost like a motivation because it feels better when you don't have all this weight on your back and you're like oh i can just like you know drink and put this in my body and then I don't have this like pressure on my back
1: so, right yeah I mean that's, that's the, yeah if you've got if you've got a uh, hydration uh like a vest and then you have some bottles yeah you drink the yeah. vest first um in a lot of ways and yeah so I just kind of like I didn't realize I needed that and so yes it would have been helpful if I didn't get get that frame bag from a Veja Negra like three days before the event and, uh, put it on and do one ride with it. And so, yeah, maybe, maybe there's a little prep there that, um, that I was missing and I uh, didn't, didn't really realize I needed that. So yeah, I kind of learned the hard way. I had to hang out for two hours at the gas station next to Lake Hodges and, and wait for, wait for my legs to subside. I mean, I tried everything I was drinking. I drank like three Gatorades and all of my electrolyte mix. And I took a, a drank pickle juice and bought a pickle and finally stuff went away or like the, tw- the, the twinges and the really hard leg cramps. And I was able to get back on my bike. And at that point, my, my friend, Matt on track leaders, so he's Mateo pays. He, uh, he, he, uh, rode with me and we rode through Lake Hodges together and kind of like just got our got our legs back and um you know I was kind of remotivated. I didn't really know I knew that it was so early on in the race that there's so much more left and you know things could change and I could get back on on track because I was maybe 45 minutes up on record pace by Lake Hodges and then I was an hour and 20 hour 15 minutes behind record pace
0: that's also once again the nice thing about the grand apart where you have all those dots and all those people and at this point i'm guessing a, a fair amount of people have passed by totally. you and so now it's like awesome i have people to chase like, i can get yeah. back into this where when you're doing an individual time trial and it's like oh i have an invisible person up the road and right. maybe i should do this another day like i don't yeah. know if I f- i'm feeling this so yeah.
1: yeah um and also you know stage 400 is not just riding 400 miles of like beautiful dirt roads, you know, or something like it's, it's crazy. Cause you go from really nice pavement to really rough roads and then sandy roads. And then like the terrain is just so it's all over the place. And if you haven't pre-ridden the course, you don't really know like how bad it gets and then how good it gets. And it's just yeah. kind of like, you're just going through a washing machine and in emotions sometimes. So, yeah it was really nice to have those carrots out in front again and just get moving and realize like uh even even now after these cramps i'm going basically as slow as i can go and i'm still kind of like pulling people and time back that was nice minus javier who is on a tear um i just i can't wait to hear more about like his prep and what he does because i mean as as you know he was like on an aliexpress bike with like thrown together parts two weeks before and just you know it's just like
0: we might not hear like that's the kind of crazy (laughs) thing is he's a farmer from ecuador he couldn't bring his bike to the start line that's why he had to build the bike up and like i'm not i'm not sure like how good his english is i think it's like okay but not
1: yeah it's it's like it's good enough like he's so nice i mean I, i again like i was saying like that first hour we all talking and chatting together and you know, great guy, and it's just really cool to uh, to kind of like speak to somebody who's so enthusiastic, and also oh, yeah. um, like in in his sense, like doesn't know what he's getting himself into. You know, like first time in the desert, first time like doing any yeah. of this. Like, I'm just so interested to be like, like, what? Who are you? Where? Do, how do you train? Like, what is this? Um, all of him, I'm just I'm just fascinated by, but. Anyways, uh, yeah. So, uh, got got back to riding finally, like got to our, the, my third refill spa, which was in and out at, you know, it was like uh, eight, o- eight, o'clock at night and, you know, just getting, I'm pescatarian. So I got a bunch of grilled cheeses and fries and a shake and, um, kind of pigged out for a second and, uh, before starting the rest and, yeah, I, uh, I lived in San Diego. My dad lived in San Diego for a long time, so it was great to great to be on these roads that I kind of grew up with but also didn't know that I could, like, piece together with, yeah. um, with a mountain bike. And also riding through San Diego at night is, is great because there's no traffic and you can just bomb through the area. And kind of, like, long story short is uh, I still wasn't feeling great with my legs. Like I was kind of like riding that line of not trying to get cramps again. Um, And cause they were obviously like still imminent and they could come back if I was pushing it too hard. so decided to get two hours of sleep. And um, after about um, like 18 hours of riding and um, just figured that maybe like my body needed a a reset and a rest and so did that on the way to alpine like right before getting onto the road for alpine and yeah just pulled over i had a bivy on me and i just that's all i i brought as far as sleeping stuff and um climbed in the Bivvy and fell asleep for two hours took me a while to fall asleep which was kind of unfortunate because i usually fall asleep within like 10 seconds i'm like the fastest person to fall asleep ever but I was just nonstop thinking about the race and yada, yada. So.
0: Yeah. It's definitely hard to shut off when you do finally decide like, Oh, I'm exhausted. I'll fall asleep quickly. And then you get to the side of the ditch that you inevitably Mm -hmm. end up sleeping in, in these races. And it's like, The mind is racing and you just put in this massive effort and it's like, hard to just relax, right? It's, you're not in a nice bed, it's not super comfortable and it's just trying to shut off is always yeah. always a little difficult.
1: Yeah, but. I mean, to be fair, I, 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 I think that I probably chose a poor time to fall asleep. Like I, I probably just should have kept going um, okay. because I wasn't exhausted yet. I was actually like pretty remotivated, but I was just being too cautious about. Yeah. Well, I think what actually happened is I fell asleep after doing the bu- a bunch of hike-a-bike that kind of happens getting towards Alpine and um, okay. and my legs were just a little messed up and I didn't have time to let them just relax and yeah. even out. And um, anyways, yeah, I think I, I don't know if I slept wrong or what happened, but somehow during that time I was like tweaking my knee and uh, my cleat. Also I discovered had slipped a tiny bit throughout this. So um, got back on the bike the next day or, hours later whatever and uh yeah i was riding again and just after like five hours of riding just started developing like this crazy knee pain that i've never felt before like i've I, i feel like i've got everything really in tune on my road bike at least and on my gravel bike and in the past on my mountain bike i've never had an issue and i mean i haven't had a saddle sore in a really long time like i've i feel like i've got everything dialed but yeah, this knee pain. I've never had that before. And it just came out of nowhere. And, uh, yeah, I just eventually, like, couldn't move my knee. Like, I couldn't bend okay. it. I, it was, like, excruciating pain. And I was riding, like, one-legged with my thigh hanging over my, sa- over my saddle to, like, keep me upright. And, um, and then I was hike-a-biking. But, like, anyways, it just took me forever to get to, uh, what is it? some some. Sunrise highway, um, um, kind of like the backside of the course before, before the big descent that takes you down into the desert. And yeah, it was like basically a couple hours of dealing with my knee and it was only getting worse and worse. So I kind of decided that I needed to pull the pin on this because I have a lot of racing left for this season. And as I, as some people like stagecoach is their thing. It's their thing for their year they've been training for it they are prepared you know they have time off like I didn't have time off work on Monday and so I, I had to either get this effort you know and and do it smoothly or if something went wrong like I didn't really have the liberty to just say like okay I'm gonna sleep for a day I'll rehab my leg my knee you know I'll make it down I'll make it through the desert like I just didn't have that time I've got the otter like I said I've got A race in two hours Um, and I've got you know um, just it's also a stagecoach calendar yeah
0: with stagecoach it's a much shorter race right where you know if you're doing a thousand mile bikepacking race and you have some knee pain it's like cool I've got another 800 miles to you know, like work through this and figure it out. And it's like, the race isn't get over some sandals
1: like Lachlan, you know? Just, yeah, exactly. You know, re- yeah. You can-
0: <laughs> figure it out. But with uh-huh. something that really it's, you know,
1: it's tight. I mean, yeah. a day and a
0: half it's mm-hmm. over pretty quickly. It's like, and especially for you being competitive, it's right? Like the, that. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. I get it. I definitely
1: get it. And, and what's um, it's like, I, I don't know. Funny to me is that, I, this is also my personality with like racing. Like I'm either in it to win it or, I'm I'm last. Like I don't have like outside pressure telling me that, you know, like I don't have like, like, I don't have an abusive dad who's like, you're a failure. But you know, like if I'm not, if I'm not on the podium spot or if I'm not winning, then like my mind's out of it. And so the same thing with stagecoach, like I was hours off the record pace at this point, Javier was like blasting through the, um, the mud caves at this point and I'm like four hours behind him and uh you know like I was I just don't have the time and I and the race isn't long enough for me to like catch back on to that pace so yeah I kind of just like ended up needing to pull the plug and and thankfully um, my friend Matt kept going and um and he crushed it for third but yeah it's, a, it's kind of a funny thing like I I had to rehab my leg and, and thankfully like the last, like five days, it hasn't, hasn't been bugging me. So I've kind of got the green light to, to race again, but stagecoach it's, it's brutal. And that last, that last half only, only gets harder. And so if if you don't have a knee for the, for the tough sand sections where you're slugging through or you're, or you're hiking through the willows, like I just, and nobody's going to, like come rescue me down there. Yeah, like, yeah. That. Yeah. like nobody's. I'm not. I'm not gonna call somebody from San Diego and be like, hey, can you do, take a six-hour drive to come get me and then a six-hour drive to Idlewild? So, yeah. But so, anyways, I, I ended up pulling the plug. I met somebody who lives in Julian. He was. Um, he was giving out some snacks and uh, stuff at the at the trailhead, and um, yeah, I was able to make it back to Idlewild by calling a friend nice
0: awesome well i'm gonna quick run through just the top three men and top three women mm-hmm. at stagecoach i was terrible at spanish so forgive me if i mess up some of these pronounced na- names in first place javier chiraboga cordovez new fastest known time one day 13 hours 28 minutes abdullah mustafa in second mateo paez paez
1: yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Your buddy. Yep. yep. In third. um, And then fourth overall, first woman, another new fastest known time, Scotty Lechuga, mm-hmm. two days, three hours, 13 minutes, followed by Jamie Lusk, who was also under that previous fastest known time, but Scotty just nipped her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third woman was actually the race promoter, Meg Nobel, so yeah. congratulations to them once again. A wicked fast year, we've kind of seen it across the board with bike pack racing. Andrew Strempe took down the fastest known time at the Monumental Loop over in New Mexico, two fastest known times here at Stagecoach. It's just kind of a wicked, wicked fast year. So, mm-hmm. more good stuff to come. So, you're at Seattle. Mm-hmm straight back into that road racing scene yeah i'm assuming you're doing the road race and then you also said you're doing the gravel
1: yeah yeah i, I won the okay. gravel race last year so i'm kind of back here to defend the title and we'll see
0: so the gravel race isn't the main event of the lifetime grand prix right that's the cross-country mountain bike race
1: yeah the, uh, yeah the endurance the yep okay mm-hmm which just seems like a great race um i'm just not a pure mountain biker um yep and so those guys can can have at it
0: can go rip each other's legs off very excited for that Mm -hmm. first first stage of the
1: yeah but it's a a great it's a great event there's tons of sponsors and uh promoters here that have all their their latest gadgets and lights and bikes and all the fancy things so it's it's a cool thing for spectators too just uh just to hang out
0: Yeah. And honestly, it's honest. It's like now that interbike is gone quite Mm -hmm. possibly like the biggest industry event of the year, like sea otters, it's up there right now. So a big deal in the U S racing scene. What does the rest of your season kind of look like? You got a full road calendar, any highlights, you know, where you're headed. What's the plan?
1: Yeah, um, I've got a bit of a mixed calendar this year. I'm kind of uh, taking, because we have such a big squad, it's a, and a huge depth of talent on our team. Um, I'm taking a little bit of a step back from the stage races that I normally do. I mean, okay. I love Gila. I think it's the best stage race in the U.S. But I, I'm i going to be kind of dabbling in some mixed stuff. So I've got um, the BWR California and BWR Asheville on tap. Those will be... Okay pretty fun event. I'm doing Rebecca's private Idaho. Uh, so that's kind of for like the, the gravel adventure side, um, as well as steamboat. And then I'm doing some, some more of my favorite, uh, crits like, uh, tour America's dairy land and intelligentsia okay. cup and, and a few others. So, uh, as well as, um, uh, maybe some DC super week and, uh, so crit scene, I love that, especially any crit that's got some uphill and downhill to it, and uh, and yeah, we'll see. Uh, I mean, I I might still be able to make a stage race this season, uh, especially with with how my form is going. Uh, so yeah, if I can string together a couple good races, I think I've got a great season ahead of me.
0: Awesome, and then any more bike pack racing endeavors in the future is stagecoach 400 already on your mind for next year i feel like it kind of has to be like
1: coach third time's is. the
0: charm third time's the charm
1: i know and I, I i told myself that i needed to finish this year so that i don't have to do it again and for- like i would love to do stagecoach just like for fun you know, okay. and, and consider it a ride, not a race, um, because I know Meg, it probably grinds her gears when she hears people refer to Stagecoach 400 as a race. But uh, yeah, so I, I'm sure I will be going for the FKT again next year, um, and I will be signing up for it. Uh, I I would be interested in uh, a number of other bike packing efforts. Um, I think, though, just with my fitness and kind of where i am with racing maybe i need to be going for a little bit shorter stuff i'd love to do i have done um part of the bones to blue loop i don't know if you've heard of that one but it's a really cool route in my neck of the woods because i'm i'm living in reno nevada and it's uh it's a great route that goes around truckee and tahoe and it's a pretty pretty gnarly course so probably do that again and um and maybe hit up the white rim trail this year Okay. Um and I, in the fall I would really like to do part of the the tour divide, either um either Colorado section or Arizona section, just to dabble in it. Uh yeah. I I for sure want to get more into the bike packing realm, but um I realize that training for that and training for criterion races are polar opposite ends. And I think i can do it all but if i want to be good at doing either of those uh, i need to i need to kind of segment my my calendar a bit better so i think that'll be more of a next year thing is uh is, is really kind of prioritizing um what my calendar looks like for the races that i want to do well in awesome dude awesome anything
0: else you want to add i i've gone through all my questions you got anything else for me
1: no, I really appreciate you uh, bringing me on and, and also me getting to share my my story of my first uh, bikepacking trip because I think that was um, uh, kind of funny. In, in retrospect. Yeah, that was awesome.
0: I enjoyed that too.
1: Um, yeah, so no, I appreciate it. Uh, thank you so much. And um, yeah, I look forward to uh, listening to your future podcast as well. So the first three have been great.
0: Awesome. Well, <laughs> folks, David is... He's on his way to bike pack racing glory. He's got that road fitness. Watch out. Watch out. This has been episode four of the Bike Pack Racing Podcast. Thanks for listening.